Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on High FM. And my guest today is Classy Vessels, and we are meeting on Zoom. Welcome, Classy. Hi, Sue. Nice to be here. Nice to see you. I'm always so happy to see you face to face, you know, not just as a voice on the other side of the phone. Yes. Our topic today is the climb continues. And Confucius said, Happiness is not at the top of the mountain, but in how to climb. And I think today that's what we're going to be discussing. We're going to discuss your latest journey to Nepal. We're going to discuss other um, uh, things that we've both been challenged with and to show that the climb is not always the mountain, it's our own climb. And sometimes we've got to climb through darkness to reach that light. And it's not always easy. But let me introduce Classy. Classy is a, very, a favorite of, of most of my listeners. And if you're just listening in, you're going to enjoy this. He's the director of the Street School Journeys of Discovery. He's a colleague and a friend. He's a diplomat and uh, an educator of logotherapists. He runs mindfulness workshops and he's a leadership coach and an executive coach. And he's actually been doing corporate work and which are uh, go on for eight months, I think you said. So, welcome, Classy. Uh, thank you, Sue. Yeah, very good, thank you. But before we jump in, just congratulations on your birthday the other day. Ah, uh, thanks it's very much. Wonderful, wonderful <laughs> celebration. And um, just we, we um, you know, when we when we spoke about the program, um, I, I just want to link to to the celebration of birthdays. I mean, what you did is you actually did a bit of a review and a reflection on where you've been and how you've come, and that is such a cool link into climbing a mountain. You know, sometimes you have to look back and see where you came from just to reflect and gather yourself. And that's exactly what I did in the Stoics talk about the view from above. Mm. And that's what I did. I took myself up into another room. It was probably about midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And I reviewed my life and looked at what I could change, what I was happy with. And I also realized very much, you know, what um, what Viktor Frankl said, that there is meaning to be found in suffering. Because mm. I looked at many of the, the times when, when I have felt at my lowest in my life, have often been the times that have steered me forward into something better and to something that made me realize I still have choices. Yeah, wonderful. So, so I must admit yeah. it's, um, it's good to see you and hear about your climb now. So uh, what I want to share with you today is, is there's three parts. So um, recently, um, um, my wife and I, she's also called Sue, we take people to Everest Base Camp every April. And again, this year, we took 15 people to Everest Base Camp. It's a very tough trek uh, to the foot of Everest. And uh, seven of the 15, seven including me, then opted to do a climb, a technical, very difficult technical climb with crampons, you know, those spikes that you put on your boots. 
and ice picks and ropes and jumars, you know, like like real climbing equipment um, to do a, a climb to 6,200 meters. So that's like 20,000 feet. Wow. Um, and then after that, I did a cycle race recently. And I must say, if there's, if there's a central theme that for me personally, that jumped out of this is, and it's, I, I, I'm going to refer to it as I found myself in a no man's land at times, almost like a psycho-spiritual fugitive. I was, I was running between what my mind said I should do and what my spirit said to me I ought to do. Now, was this on your cycle race that it, this it happened? Ha- it happened. It happened. There, there was a moment. There was on the cycle race that this happened, and there was on the climb. There was a. So we can jump into the detail, but just as a as a as a flyover, there was this this no man's land, which is very 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 confusing. But that is, you know, where, what Franco refers to as the moment where you have to make a call. You you have to make a decision, mm. and. The consequences of that decision is something that you're gonna you're, you're gonna have to live by. So let me, if I, if I could just un- unpack it, and and I don't know, do you want to start with the, with Nepal, or do you want to start with no, the, the we'll bike ride? Start, I think you've started with the the your own climb of the race, and you know that. So uh, I was reading something that Albert Einstein said, and he said you can only uh, on when you're on uh, on a bicycle, there's only one way to keep balance, and that's moving forward. <laughs> so, <laughs> did you move That's forward? That's very, very cool. Yes, I moved forward. But so let me just, so the, this cycle race that I did is, it was a very unusual one. It was a mountain bike race. So it was, it was, it was off-road um, and it was 430 kilometers um, mm-hmm. with 10,000 meters of climbing. So that is to, imagine you have to cycle from uh, Cape Town to George off-road, uh, crossing Table Mountain, maybe say 12 times on the way so it's it's a it's a it's a hectic and the idea is you start on thursday morning nine o'clock and you finish you have until saturday afternoon to finish so you so you ride through the night so you have to have your own lights you have to sort yourself out with water from the rivers there are some drops and and points where you can get food there's like five points in this 430k ride that you can get your food and stuff but it is self-sufficient. You know, you, you need to navigate yourself. So your device that you navigate with um, need to have power. It needs to remain power. You know, the lights in the night need to remain power. So it's very, 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 very challenging. Is it a so, South African race? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's unique in the world. It's South African race. You start in, in Gudwana, in, in Pumalanga. So you start in Gudwana, and then eventually you finish in Belstrom. Mm. So you go up and down, up and down, up and down those sappy uh, forests and hills and the escarpment between the, the high felt and the low felt, you know, so you, you just, so, but now I was doing it with a partner, a friend of mine called Anton, Anton Falk. Uh, he works for Toyota. And um, the two of us started on Thursday morning at nine o'clock, but something wasn't right with me. I've in my life never not finished a, yeah, you've got to stop. You never once finished a race. Oh, We're going to yes. get back. Are we okay. going to get back to that in a moment? <laughs> All right. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on High FM 101.9. And I am back with Classy Vessels. And Classy has been talking about a cycle race that he did 
um, well, actually, it's far more than a cycle race. And um, he was talking about how he himself had never actually felt as he felt on this race. Why, Classy? What was it that made you feel so disjointed in a way, it sounds? So I, I think I think it was a combination of things. The the you know I, I think I still had a hangover from Nepal um, physically. It was uh, Nepal physically was very challenging and mentally, it is stressful in a in a way. And on this ride, we we started at about nine o'clock in the morning. The the race started and about eight hours later, by four five o'clock, we got to a, a water point and um, I said to my friend, I, I actually cannot continue. Uh, my body, I'm completely empty. I, mean, I, I felt like I was getting COVID, my physically. And as I was riding, you know, obviously because I'm, I'm studying these things of Franco, um, I was now analyzing myself, you know, is it, is it just my mind that is playing games and, and, and making me feel tired or is my body really in trouble? And uh, I, I still can't figure it out, but at that moment, I hit a wall in a minute, matter of speaking, and I couldn't continue. So mm. I, I plugged out of the race. And as I sat there, seeing my friend ride off into the distance continuing, I tried to figure out, so what am I going to do now? How do I handle this? How do I sit with this failure? And what is this all about? So as I was waiting for the recovery vehicle to come, it took about three hours. They fetched me. They took me to a base. I had a shower, I put on some new, well, I only had cycling clothes, so I put on some fresh cycling clothes, I had something to eat, had a bit of a nap. And through the night, riders were coming through this point, passing through this point. And something in my mind happened, I think, because the next morning, my bike was ready to roll back to the finish with a, with a car. I was going to get taken back with a vehicle. I'm going to wait for my friend to finish on Saturday and so on. Somebody said to me, one of the guys, they said to me, why don't you just ride along for a couple of hours? Just, just tag along, ride with, because I wanted to just support my friend. And they said, just, just ride along and see what happens. And I said, well, what if I collapse somewhere? And he said, no, we'll come and pick you up. Don't worry. And I said to my mate, I'm going gonna, gonna to plug back in. So that next morning, about 10.30 on Friday morning, we started, I started riding again with him. And this continued riding, we continued then riding Friday, the whole day, through the night, through the morning, and we finished half past two on Saturday afternoon in Dahlstrom. And for me, the, the thing here, look, it's, they were very tough moments, you know, like three o'clock in the morning, you, you're standing somewhere, you just had a cup of soup, because there were some, there were five food stops on the way, and you get out in the Dahlstrom altitude, I mean, we're riding up to 2000 meters, it's freezing, 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 freezing cold. And you got to start riding in that. Now, all you have is your little light focusing in front of you and the grind of the tires, you know, on the gravel. It is a very, very lonely space. But the thing for me is there was one driving thing. And I'm, I'm coming, you know, Teria, I know Teria is also on your, on your program, I think, in, in next week or a couple of weeks. There's, there's something about the, in the principles of optimal living to have that clear mission and that being connected to what is meaningful. And for me, it was, there was a couple of things. It's not just one thing, but the one was, I didn't want to leave my mate on his own because to ride this thing solo, I mean, we all, we were riding on our own, obviously, but, but, but to ride together, just to be there because there are some very lonely spaces. 
and that uh, I, I think that for me was like a like a pickup call you know to just to be there and it's that's what frankel says you know to do something for somebody other than yourself it's the amazing energy what that can give you absolutely and classy so you eventually finished did you get recognition for finishing where were you or... Well, no, there were lots of handshakes and, and hand slaps, but I, I was technically, uh, uh, did not finish, you know, no, I, I don't get a medal, you know, you don't get a, you don't get yeah. a medal, no, no, no. So this was, <laughs> this was really in your mind, you know, Frankel uh, talks about those forces that be, are beyond our control, that can take away everything that we possess, except one thing. And that's your freedom to choose yeah. how you will respond yeah. to the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So look how you responded. Yeah. You yeah. actually rose above your, your own discomfort, yeah. whether it was in your mind or your body, and you thought beyond that, you thought of someone else. Yeah. There's, for me personally, one of my personal mantras is have a story to tell. And that night, as you know, on, on Thursday night, when, when I plugged out of the race and my friend was riding off, I thought, what am I? What story am I telling by this? And, the, the, and so now, obviously, so who am I telling the story to? It's like, who, you know, for whom am I an example? And I was thinking, obviously, of my children and of my family and of my friends and of my, this particular friend. You know, what story? Because now I'm projecting forward to Saturday afternoon. So here he comes into the race. I'm sitting there waiting for him, cleanly showered and shaved, sitting with a beer in my hand. It's like, what, what story are you telling? And I wasn't happy with that. So that is also part of what thought, no, 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 no. you gotta, you got you to gotta sort of man up in a way and do this thing, even though you don't feel like doing it. Um, because the, the consequences of the alternative story was just not an option. And that is so interesting because one of the things that I did when I was reflecting back on my life, and I had got these wonderful, wonderful messages from grandchildren and friends. And some of them came early and I was reading over them. And I thought, oh, my word, you know, how blessed I am to be, be seen like this. But then I thought to myself, I'm getting older, a lot older. And how am I going to keep this up so that my story, as you said, the story that you, you want to leave behind, so that my story can continue of, of actually letting my grandchildren learn from what I want to teach them. And it takes a lot of energy to actually say to yourself, well, this is what you're going to have to do. Jack up. And keep going and show them that life is always worth living, no matter what stages you're at. Whether your body is finished as yours was, get up and show up. I think you said something to me about shut up, suit up. What was it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was... Um... I was listening to a podcast the other day, and um, uh, it, he, the, 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 the storyteller was, was talking about his personal attitude to life. And he, had, he has these three mantras that he says, shut up, suit up, and pitch up. And what he means by, by that is, 
Um, do, do we have a moment? Is there a break yeah, coming yeah, up? Yeah. Can we tell no, so no, what, no. what he means by that is shut up because there is always somebody worse off than you. You just look around. You just look around. There's going to be somebody <laughs> who is worse off than you. So shut up. You know, stop complaining. <laughs> what he means by suit up is do your preparations. Make the, you know, do your homework. Uh, and, and what you said here um, about um, analyzing yourself, you know, the biggest mistake we can make is to remain unconscious, unconscious uh, and, uh, to ourselves and to stop examining ourselves. That is the biggest mistake we can make. We, and continuous learning, not learning skills necessarily, but continuous learning of myself and how to improve myself and get better at certain things. Uh, so, so this suit up is to, is to do your homework and then pitch up. And pitch up, and you know, the, the, the artistic people or the radio people, I mean, Craig's people, they will know that when the red light goes on, you perform. You, you, you pitch up and you do your thing, irrespective of how you feel. You know? <laughs> so I thought that was quite cool. <laughs> I like that. I really do. Now, Classy, going back to your, your um, Nepal trip, just um, you did mention a few things you were going to actually. Uh, check with one of your your um, the one of the uh, there was a team that worked walked together. Do you want to climb together? Do you want to tell us about that? Yes, yeah, that was a so so uh, the base camp. The, so the the base camp for the group. I mean, there's so many individual stories, and I remember last year we had some of them on the program. We, uh, yeah, stories of personal achievement, but there's one I want to highlight uh, in this case. So so when we. Um, when we went for the climb, so now we, 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 we've done Everest Base Camp and seven of us are moving into a different valley up into, onto another mountain to, to go and do a, a, a very difficult technical climb. And well, uh, these things are all relative, you know, so for us South African novices, when it comes to, to mountaineering, this, was, this is regarded as very difficult. And there was a father and son in, in, in this squad. And the father came with me last year, Marius, and he brought, he came again this year and he brought his son Franco along uh, with the idea that the two of them are doing base camp and then they're going to do this climb Island Peak. So we were now trekking to Island Peak's base camp this one day, this one particular day. And Did they we get walking, through the, the first part okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All good. No, all good. Yeah, everybody got to Everest Base Camp, all happiness, no, no problem. And uh, so two days later, we now split from the main group and we're now going to Island Peak's base camp. And as we were walking, I could see that uh, Marius is walking very, very slowly. He, he, he's, he got slower and slower rather quickly. So at one point, I said to him, look, I'm just going to, Go ahead with the front group. I'll wait for you at base camp. There'll be some soup. There'll be some hot tea and so forth. And when he got to our Island Peak base camp, he was completely out of it. He didn't want to eat anything. He didn't want to drink anything. He just wanted to lie in his tent. So we gave him some, try and give him some soup. And I took his oxygen readings and he was at 55% mm. oxygen. I mean, you will Gee. know. You will know Dang what that means. Yeah. Oh, um, I, had, I had such a fright. And this was about two o'clock in the afternoon. And um, I, you know, we gave him some tea and I took a reading again about four or five minutes later and it was 58%. And then we said, no, 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 we've got to get a chopper. So we, we, um, we, we got a guide and we phoned for a, for a helicopter. And th so now the decision for his son, who was fine, his son is a, 26, a strong 26-year-old boy. You know, he is full of energy. Uh, like, what are you going to do? And it was not... It was not a question. 
You know, it's like I'm, I'm staying with my dad. Because often on these mount, on, on these kind of things, you split up. You know, so the person who's, who's out of it goes down, gets evacuated. And the other partner, if it's a husband or wife or, or just a partner or a son or whatever, carries on with the expedition. I mean, that, that often happens. But in this case, um, Franco was, there was, it was, it was a, there was no um, uncertainty. He was going with his dad. And what he said to me, and what, what's so interesting is um, the mother came into play because he said, my, what will my mum say? And, uh, you know, when I leave my dad alone. So he had, he had two things. There were two callings there, that his loyalty to his dad and he, I'm going with my dad because that's what I do. And secondly, um, you know, the mum. So, so there was with him that awareness, that, that higher awareness, that it's not, a, it's not me that has to decide whether I want to go up and down, but he has a duty, you know, to, 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 to the mother and to the family at, at, at large. So um, I, th I think that, you know, for them, I'm inclined to suggest that the two of them not making it, having to have, uh, having to be evacuated, had almost a larger effect on the relationship of a father and son than had they reached the top of the mountain. Mm. What you, because what you said earlier, you said something earlier about you know when you reach the top of the mountain, um, you realize it was always inside you. You know, you know that quote mm -hmm. uh, of the climber who said, "When I reach the top of the mountain, I realized what I was looking for was inside me all the all along." Well, and it's the climb; it's not necessarily it's, it's, the it's, mountain. Exactly, that's that's it. That's it. It's the climb. So for them, the climb here, in a metaphorical sense, was the evacuation, the the anxiety, the uncertainty, the fear, the concern. That was the climb. You know how how am I dealing with this um, uh, with, with with this challenge? Not just a you know a, a physical hop, skip, and jump, and see if we can take a photograph at at the, at the top. I mean that is that is just such a shallow dimension actually. I mean, so beyond much, that, absolutely, mm. absolutely. You know, and and it also reminds me back to Frankel. I mean, you and I love to quote him, but it's about that one about the more one forgets himself by giving himself to a cause to serve or mm. to another person to love. The more human he is, and the more he actualizes himself, mm. and this self-actualization is only possible, as Frankel said, as a side effect of self-transcendence. Mm. So That's here, true. the son self-transcended beyond his own needs of wanting to complete that mountain That's climb, true. and saw that there was something else that was calling him, and yeah. that call was greater than reaching the top of the mountain. Yeah. And he reached yeah. his own mountaintop, didn't he? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I can, you know, there's a, there's a, there's something in a stance. I, we once, my wife once took a photograph of a crow and this crow had its feet oh, yeah. widely planted, like wide apart. And it was a, just a little black crow standing with feet wide apart, but it had such a powerful stance, you know, because it stood so firmly with its feet planted you're not neatly together, like, you know, but <laughs> wide apart. And I, I, in my mind, um, that son stands like that. He stands proudly with his feet planted wide apart. And have you been in touch with them since then to find out how they yeah. are? I, I, I try to, but um, my life was so upside down, you know, since I got back in with a cycle race. We, I, we left messages for each other, but we couldn't actually speak. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up with all of them, um, you know, in the next couple of days. And, and um, Classy, in the meantime, you were also running a, um, a, 
a course for Toyota. Yeah, Is so, that right? Yes, so what yes, was yes. that about? So, I mean, you've had um, many mountains to climb this year. Yeah, so so there's a couple of um, uh, I run a mindfulness leadership program for Toyota, and there's a um, there's a couple of groups from them on this program. So it's a it's small groups. It's like twelve to fourteen people at a time, and it's a combination of Frankel's um, philosophy, like how do we unlock meaning at work, and mindfulness. How do we come? How do we become aware of what is important to us, and how do we actually cultivate our minds? In the, and, and by by that I mean how do we gain control and what Frankel calls this self-distancing, uh, that I have thoughts, I am not my thoughts. So I am feeling angry, doesn't necessarily mean I'm an angry person. And, 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 and how do we get better at controlling all these you know, emotions? Because it's not, I mean, we all have all, all the emotions that's on the spectrum, we all have them. But as those Eastern people will say, um, we don't have to invite them in for tea. You know, we can and let that's them. So true. <laughs> we so, can let them slip past. Before you get to make the tea, they are rushing through your <laughs> minds. Let's face it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, there's something else. I just want to get back to the the climb. So after seven, myself um, and a young boy of 21 uh, made it successfully to the top. And for him, so now that's another, there's another, that's another case study. So here is somebody who has never put crampons on their boots before. They've never been on ice before. They've never hanged off a rope before. So as it's, so this 21 year old, um, climbed this thing. And um, for him, I, I think he is going to look back at this with amazement in, in years to come, because he, he he still cannot believe what he achieved. For him, it is such a big achievement. And it's not, again, it's not the top of the mountain. It's overcoming, um, it, sorry, it's overcoming fear. It's overcoming anxiety. Um, because there was, a, there was a moment in this climb where, do we have to stop? Okay. <laughs> we have to stop the climb okay. for a moment. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Craig. <laughs> this is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Classy, before getting back to you, I actually just wanted to say that anyone can get hold of us on SMS 34519 or telegram us on 061-895-1019. I do have a YouTube clip to play, but I would actually like you to finish your story first, please, about this young boy who was climbing up and it was the first time that he had actually encountered those challenges. So thank you, Sue. So there was a particular point where he got a cramp. And I just, so at this point, there was, there was a Nepalese guide ahead of me, about 10 meters up from me on a rope. It was me. And then 20 meters below me was Bradley. And I just heard this scream and I looked back um, down and I, and I saw him hanging in his harness because, you know, you, you're in a harness hanging off this rope. And he was just like free, hanging freely, you know, just like in a it's kind of a spasm. And uh, I waited for him to calm down. And I said, Brad, what's up? What, what, uh, what's happening? And he said, no, he's got a, a spasm and, and he, he, he can't carry on. And I, I said, what are you thinking? And he said, I, I, I actually can't carry on. I want to turn around. And I looked up to Pema, the guide, and I said, Pema, um, 
Bradley cannot continue. He doesn't want to continue anymore. How far are we from the ridge? Because at from the at the ridge uh, was not quite the top of the mountain, but from there we could actually then start walking again um, upright. You know, at the moment we were like climbing, and the uh, wily old fox that Pema was said to me, 10 minutes, sir." <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> and I said, "Brad." It's 10 minutes, then we're at the ridge, and then we can actually walk. Then we can, you know, unclip from the from, from these ropes and, and, and just walk upright. And it wasn't 10 minutes, it was more like like 45 minutes. But <laughs> the point, the point was it that hope that, I, I, that it's it's it it said to Bradley, I've made such an effort, 10 minutes, and I'm gonna be there. And for me, that the lesson here for me was not to give up. Be, just because it's hard, because you can't see the finish line, that maybe the finish line is closer than you think. Maybe the breakthrough is closer than you think. And I think this came into play for him. And again, uh, have a story to tell. The thought of him not making it because he had a cramp and we came down and we can say, oh, we were like 100 meters from the top of the mountain and it was very close and so on and so on and so on. It just doesn't cut it, you know. So just to push through. So for I think for him, that lesson of not giving up um, and underestimating, you know, how close you are to the finish was, was quite important. And you and know what, quite honestly, Classy, I think back to as a young girl, I've mentioned before climbing Montessori. And I have a terrible fear of heights. And so the guide used to, would come behind me on those chain ladders. You know, you go up those chain ladders. And even this the thought of going up made me want to bring up, quite honestly. And my dad would say to me, just keep your head up. Keep your head up and don't look down. Don't look, even don't look further up. Just keep your head at a level that you know that you're going one rung further, one rung further. And that's what I did. I didn't look at all the rungs that I still had to take because then I think I would have probably passed out yeah. and fainted with my own fear. But, you know, that there's a saying, um, head up and look forward. And and sometimes it's very hard to look forward optimistically, especially when there's so much uncertainty and you don't know what you're actually going to. Absolutely. If you'd like to SMS us, please do so on 34519. Or telegram us on 061-895-1019. A message came through on my phone, actually, and it says, uh, what does Classy feel that he learned from this uh, trek compared to last trek, his last one? So I learned to be more forceful in me briefing people because when I say to them, you must train physically, this thing is hard. Um, I'm, I'm not forceful enough. That's the, the one thing. So I, I think I need to brief them better on how to prepare. Secondly, I need to be more forceful on the trek itself. There were some people, so I would, I would, I would tell them to do something on the trek and they will not do it and it will have consequences later. And I'm not forceful mm -hmm. enough. Like, for instance, if you do, have to do an acclimatization walk, uh, somebody will say, oh, I don't feel like it. I'm really tired. Um, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to do that acclimatization walk. It's, it's not on. It's not an option. You have to do it. So I, I'm going to. So, so what I learn is that. And then the, there's a third one I'm coming to. So it's uh, better preparation uh, and more forceful because uh, I'm I want to be nice to the people because they're here for a, you know, I don't want to make the experience nice for them. So I, wanna, I don't want to be like a sergeant major, but I think I'm going to become a little bit more like a sergeant major. <laughs> you probably but, have to. 
with encouragement. The other thing that I learned is, is well, I'm, I'm going to summarize it by questions that govern you in times of toughness or in tough times. Five questions. And for me, it's, who am I really? You know, who, who am I in this situation is, is the first question to be. And it, it may not have an obvious answer, but it's need to be considered. The second thing is, what do I still have to address? What remains unfinished? It's the, the second one. What story am I telling? Is the third one. What example am I setting in, in the fourth case? And what is expected of me? A call, the, the call to responsibility. But what is expected of me in this situation? And that is part of our daily mountain climb, isn't it? It's, you know, questioning ourselves. And at the same time, I do think it's not looking at ourselves with harsh eyes, but actually making our eyes a little bit softer and saying, okay, I'm actually doing my best and I'll keep climbing. Absolutely. Do you agree? Absolutely. And, you know, Sue, that, that is such an important point. And sometimes doing your best is enough. It doesn't have to be perfect. We can't be perfect. Uh, you know, we can't be better than somebody else necessarily. But just doing your best. Oh, that is so cool. That is so true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I have to agree with you. You know, Paula Kula, um, who I, I mean, I'm just mad about him. In his book, Veronica Decides to Die, one of the things he says is the two hardest tests on the spiritual road are the patience to wait for the right moment and the courage not to be disappointed with what we encounter. And what you said about your cycle race really fits that in. It fits into that, you know, of not being disappointed. What, what do you agree? Absolutely. Telling us we're going to advert. We're not in studio today, so Craig is holding up for me. Thank you, Craig. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Classy Vessels. And we're about to listen to a very short YouTube by uh, Gabor Matei, and he's talking about Alice uh, Hurt Summer. Alice was a, a hundred. She was died at, in two thousand and fourteen at a hundred and ten. She was a Holocaust survivor, and she was a, a very famous musician. And she said these when she was in the Theresien uh, camp, um, which was a which was terrible. She said music kept her alive, and she said these concerts and the people listening. They were old. They were desolate. They were ill. But music was for them our food. And she said, through making music, we were kept alive. Now, she was 214 when she, I mean, she died in 2014 at the age of 110. And she said, I know about bad things, but I look to the good things, which was amazing. We're going to be listening to a very short YouTube about her. You know, the question of being protected in a wounding environment, I... Removed today, somebody sent me a video, a uh, YouTube video, um, of a woman who actually died last week. She's 110 years old and she was thought to be the world's oldest Holocaust survivor. And she, a uh, Jewish woman from, I'm not sure which Eastern European country, Austria perhaps. Anyway, she ended up in Theresienstadt, which is uh, one of the concentration camps um, where now Czechoslovakia is. And, uh, and she's one of these people that maintained her love of life throughout that horrible experience. Mm. And she connected with music. She was a wonderful pianist. Mm. 
Uh, she played Chopin. So she played Chopin at the concentration camp, and when she wasn't playing it, she was thinking it. Mm. And she lived on her own until she was 110 years old and died quite unexpectedly at the age of 110. You know? <laughs> uh, no, one no, 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 no one saw it coming. <laughs> and, uh, but, but when you watch her, She's just full of vibrancy and life and love of life and appreciation and gratitude. And she had that same attitude throughout the horror. Now, which is only to say, and my best guess is that she was even given some God-given grace, some experience of divinity or, or, or reality at some point, or more likely, she had an amazing first three years of life. Mm. You know, she was thereafter, as you said, inoculated, mm. even against that horror of that. There's not a wo more wounding environment than what she went through. So it, that, which only goes to show what the human potential actually is. Mm -hmm. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Darcy, we are being told to wrap up. How would you like to, to end this conversation? We will be back and to discuss more in a few months' time, but right now. So link, just I, I think I'm going to sum up, I'm going to sum up or finish with what you just said um, before the YouTube clip. Uh, we shouldn't always push and pull so hard at life. Sometimes we should just let it flow and maybe flow with it a little bit. That's beautiful. I have to agree with you there. And I think it's also to look at life from a wider lens and to realize we're all inter interconnected to the universe, to others, to not only people in our environment, but to the world out at large. And the words that we use, what we put out there, really does get its own energy. So let us put out a very positive energy. After our program, um, uh, Craig is going to be playing a beautiful uh, short um, song by which Simon Sinek actually wrote a book called um, Together is Better Than One, and Aloe Black put the words together and you'll enjoy it because it is about seeing, you know, listening to the stories of others, being together, actually finding inspiration in each other and helping each other mm -hmm. on this climb. Thank you so much uh, for you, being sir. with me, Classy. Thank you, Craig. Have a nice day. You too. Bye.